We're going to be reading Titus chapter 2 this afternoon. Titus 2, but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, that the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Brothers and sisters, in our Lord Jesus Christ, Paul begins here a series of exhortations to Titus to teach different groups of people in the churches on the island of Crete. And he singles out here five different groups, older men, older women, young men, young women, young men, and bond servants. And those exhortations or those um, instructions to Titus to exhort the, these groups in the churches take up verses 2 to 10 of the chapter. If you look at the beginning and ending verses of the chapter, I think you see there um, a kind of envelope structure or bookend structure. In other words, Paul says essentially the same thing in the beginning verse as he says in the ending verse. So in verse 1 he says, Speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. And in verse 15, speak these things, repeating himself, and then adding, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you, so that you have this, these bookends, and then between the bookends, first of all, the series of exhortations to Titus about what to teach these different groups, and then in verses 11 to 14, the ground for these exhortation in the gospel of the grace of God in Christ Jesus. 
What we're going to do this afternoon is look at verses 1 to 10, and then also verse 15, and God willing, we'll deal with verses 11 to 14 next week. So we begin with looking at what Paul tells Titus to teach the older men. That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. So basically four things that he tells Titus to teach these older men. That word sober here means uh, to be sober in the, uh, with regard to alcohol, not to be immoderate in the use of wine. Not to be drunkards, in other words. Now, the scriptures do, of course, approve the use of wine, even encourage the use of wine in certain cases. You find Paul telling Timothy, for example, to take a little wine for his stomach's sake. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself converted uh, water to wine at the wedding feast in Cana, according to John chapter 2. And uh, Psalm 104 talks about wine that makes glad the heart of man as a gift of God to us. So there's appropriate use of wine, but the scriptures are very strong about not being drunken. Proverbs especially speaks against drunkenness, but you find it also in the New Testament. In many places throughout the scriptures, therefore, the scriptures condemn uh, drunkenness. And Timothy, or Titus rather, is to exhort these older men, first of all, then to be sober. Secondly, he's to exhort them to be reverent. Now that word is a little bit difficult, but I think what he means here is that they are to conduct themselves in such a way as to be worthy of honor or respect that they, in all their behavior, in all of life, show themselves to be to those who are outside as well as those who are inside, godly and honorable men who are worthy of respect from the people who are observing them. Paul uses this same word in 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 11, when he's talking about the deacons and the qualifications for deacons. In verse 8, he says, likewise, deacons must be reverent. And in verse 11, likewise, their wives must be reverent. So both the deacons and their wives are to be uh, honorable or respectable people. And respectable, of course, in a biblical sense, not in a secular, a worldly kind of sense, such as we might use that word today. So that's the second thing, honorable, in uh, worthy of, uh, being worthy of honor because of their godliness and their faithfulness. In the third place, he uses the word temperate. And this is, again, that word sober-minded that we've talked about already a couple of times. They are to be of sound mind. That is, they are to be men who, uh, whose minds are shaped by the word of God. 
who are not corrupt in their thinking, who are not frivolous in their thinking, who are not empty-minded, but whose minds are filled with God's word and have, and so they are right-thinking people according to the word and law of God. And then he adds three things in which they are to be sound. Sound in faith, sound in love, and sound in patience. Now that word sound, its basic meaning is just uh, healthy. And it's often used in physical contexts of a person who's not ill. So you could translate almost healthy, healthy in faith, in love, and in patience. And when he means health, when he talks about being healthy in faith, I think he has in mind this uh, um, faith in, in both of its senses. That is, in the subjective sense, they're to be sound in and steadfast in their believing. They're not to be constantly wavering and doubting with regard to the faith. They are to be people who who show a steadfastness and a steadiness in their faith that's not always characteristic of of all people. But he also means sound or healthy in the doctrine that they believe. Uh, Holding fast then to the word of faith, to the teachings of the scripture. That's the, the soundness in faith that he's talking about, I think. In the second place, he talks about soundness in love. And here he, he uses the uh, Greek word, the common Greek word for love, agape, which is, uh, emphasizes uh, something quite different from the way we think of love today. We think of love primarily as an affection. We talk about loving someone, and we mean that we have affection for someone. But the scriptures are very clear that love is manifested particularly in behavior, in deeds. Let us not love in word, John says, but in deed and in truth. And John also says later in his epistle that uh, love is the keeping of the law. And so when he says be sound in love, he means be sound in obeying the law, in obeying the law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That is, love according to the law, love in doing those things which the law requires. And being sound in love, then, because we have a variety of loves, we have love for God, we have love for neighbors, we can even speak of love for uh, pets, for example, or for animals. We can speak of, of love in a very uh, minor sense for possessions of various sorts. Some of us love various possessions that we may have. But being sound in love, then, is, is having all these loves in their proper proportions and in their proper relations so that we don't love spouse more than God or that we don't love our possessions more than we love our spouse, that sort of thing. All these different loves have to be in their proper measures, governed by the law of our God. And then uh, sound in patience as well. 
We talk about patience, I think, in two different ways. Sometimes we talk about being patient with people. There are people who, who rub us the wrong way, and it's sometimes difficult for us to be patient with these people, to keep calm and to deal with them in a, in a calm and rational manner. That's not the kind of patience Paul is talking about here. He's talking instead about patience in trials, in difficult circumstances. It's that patience then which endures in trials, which uh, does not rebel against God's way, which does not complain about God, which does not despair of God's help, but continues steadfastly in faith and obedience. That's the kind of patience. Being sound in patience, therefore, is to conduct oneself as uh, an obedient, submissive, faithful child under the trials that our Heavenly Father sends us. So those are the things that he, he says with regard to older men. We come then to the things he says with regard to older women. What Titus is to teach the older women. And we have a list of four things here, again. And they are that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. The word reverent in behavior is not the same word that you have in verse 2 for older men. Different word in the Greek. This is a, a word that means uh, behavior that is befitting sacred things. William Hendrickson says in his commentary that these older women are to conduct themselves as, as if they were priests in the temple of God. And indeed, of course, we are priests, and these older women are priests, living in the service of God, and all of life has become for us sacred, holy. Living in the church, the holy house of God. Living in marriage, that holy bond between man and wife. Living within the family as those who are holy, and so on. They are to conduct themselves, therefore, as befits the sacred things and the sacred paths in which they walk. Their demeanor or behavior is to be fitting for those sacred things. Secondly, he says, not slanderers. Now the word for slanderer there is the word diabolos from which we get our word diabolic. And it's also, in the New Testament, a name for Satan, the father of the lie. And so what Paul is saying here to Titus is teach these older women not to behave like the devil, not to be like that liar who has been a liar from the beginning. Don't be slanderers, don't be false accusers. Don't be people who go about uh, talking about others, undermining their reputation, destroying their relationships, and so on. Like the devil is always doing. Thirdly, they are to be not given to much wine, or not enslaved to much wine. 
very much the same ideas with regard to the older men where he says they must be sober, not drunkards in other words. And finally, they are to be teachers of good things. Now we're not to take that and say, well, here's a place where Paul um, makes clear that it's okay for women to teach in the church in general. He makes very clear in 1 Timothy 3 that women are not to have authority in the church in that way. But he, may, he here he shows Titus what he means in the following verse. They are to be teachers of good things with regard to the younger women. They're to be teaching these younger women how to live in their families, in their households, how to conduct themselves in the church, and so on. How to be obedient to the commandment of God. So those are the things then that he says about older women. Reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. He comes in the third place, in verses 4 and 5, to young women. Now it's very interesting that here, with regard to young women, Paul does not tell Titus to teach these young women himself. If you look at the text, what he does is he instructs Titus to teach the older women to teach the younger women. And that's due undoubtedly, first of all, because the older women, women as having experience in matters that pertain to women, would be much better fitted than Titus himself to teach those younger women their duties, especially their domestic duties. But also, there's probably in the back of Paul's mind here that it's necessary to, for those who are in positions of teaching and authority in the church to keep from temptation in this regard, from sexual temptation, and also to keep from those occasions which may give others um, opportunity to make false accusations. A man has to be very careful in dealing with women. And I think Paul has that partly in mind as well. So he says to Titus, teach the older women to teach the younger women. And you read that in verse 4, that they, that is the older women, admonish the younger women. And then I think, looking at what they are to teach, you can divide this into two groups of things. That they admonish the younger women, the young women, to love their husbands, to love their children. That word admonish is again that from the same root as the word sober-minded. Paul keeps on coming back to that word, doesn't he? It's, it's very frequently used in such a short letter. He comes back to this idea of being of sound mind, of being sane and in one's right mind. That is, having one's mind filled with the truth of God, with the word of God. And he wants these older women then, first of all, to teach these younger women to be sober-minded. And then out of this sober-mindedness, or 
that flows the other two things in this first group, that they love their husbands and love their children. Here's how they show their sober-mindedness then, that they love their husbands and love their children. And the word that he uses for love here is not the word agape this time, but the word phile or philos. And that's a word that emphasizes much more the affection of love rather than the behavior of love. These younger women, he's assuming, of course, that they're married younger women, are to love their husbands, to be affectionately disposed towards their husbands, and to love their children. I think there's a kind of tendency in our culture to encourage young women to despise their husbands, to uh, treat their husbands as if they're inferior beings, and to treat their husbands as if they're objects of scorn and ridicule, properly objects of scorn and ridicule, especially with others. That's not what the scriptures teach about this. They are to love their husbands and love their children. But the second part of the list, in verse 5, also begins with a form of that word that means sober-minded. So you have it twice with regard to women. First you have it in the verb form, that they teach to be sober-minded, the young women, to love their husbands. And then you have it, to be sober-minded, in verse 5. And he goes into more detail again about what He means by that sober-mindedness here in verse 5, that they be chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Chaste means pure in sexual matters as well as in other matters, pure in behavior as well as pure in mind. Homemakers has more the idea of keepers at home, That is, they're domestic in their behavior. They give themselves to helping their husbands by caring for the house and the household as the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. They're not gadding about in the streets, going off frequently to visit friends and to gossip among their friends to be on the fly continually, but they're keepers at home. Thirdly, they are to be good, that is morally good, keepers of the law of God. And finally, they are to be obedient to their husbands. Paul talks about this obedience, of course, in the last part of Ephesians chapter 5. We can read a few verses from that. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then again at the end of the chapter, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. 
So those are the things with regard to younger women. Then with regard to younger men in verses 6 to 8. Come on in. Hi. We're looking at Titus chapter 2. And we are um, at verses 6 to 8. Where Paul is giving instruction to Titus about how to teach the younger men. Titus 2 verses 6 to 8 about young men. And again, he begins with that idea of being sober-minded. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. He keeps coming back to that idea of sober-mindedness, of being uh, right-thinking, of being sane according to the scriptural teaching. And this sober-mindedness, of course, is the, the word in Titus that relates sound doctrine and sound living. Sober-mindedness is, first of all, right thinking with regard to the scriptures, with the, the doctrine and teaching of the scriptures, but it is in the second place of right thinking with regard to the way of life that a Christian is to live. And that sober-mindedness then connects the sound doctrine with the sound living. There's sound doctrine through uh, sober-mindedness, and that sound doctrine in sober-mindedness leads to sound living. But that's the only thing, then, that he says directly about young men. Notice that it's the only thing he tells Titus to teach the young men. Teach them, he says, to be sober-minded, or exhort them to be sober-minded. And then he simply goes on here, and he says to Titus, And for the rest, I want you to be an example to them. These young men will be looking to Titus as one of roughly their own age as uh, an example. They will be uh, looking to him for their patterns of behavior and for the things that they should be confessing with their mouths and so on. And so Paul says, it doesn't give Timothy a lot of, or Titus rather, a lot of things to teach them. He just simply says, first teach them to be sober-minded, and then set yourself before them as an example. An example, first of all, of good works. Showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Live godly, so that they may see you as one who is godly, one who is worthy of imitation. And then be an example to them in doctrine as well. In doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. Those words, again, that he uses there are somewhat difficult. Integrity means more incorruptibility, I think, rather than the third word that he has here. Integrity means uh, don't be drawn away by uh, fancy uh, teaching speculative teaching, philosophical teaching, and all the other kinds of errors that may come into the church. Don't be drawn away. Be uh, incorruptible in the doctrine of the scriptures, the doctrine which I have been teaching you here in this letter. The reverence is the same word that he used with regard to older men in verse 2. So be honorable 
Be respectable in your doctrine, in your belief, and in your confession. Show your honorable character through sound doctrine, through the confession and teaching of sound doctrine. The third word has more to do with sincerity, I think, than with incorruptibility. Show sincerity. Don't be a hypocrite, in other words. And then speak what is sound. Speak words that no one can find fault with if they judge you according to the scriptures. So that's the fourth group, the younger men. And then you have the fifth group yet, which is servants. I don't think it really matters too much here whether we take these as hired servants or slaves. Perhaps we can illustrate a little more forcefully the meaning of the uh, verse if we take it to be slaves here that he's talking to. And the striking thing here is that Paul doesn't have any interest really in overthrowing the institution of slavery, if that's what he's talking about. He's, uh, he does hint in a couple of places in his letters, for example, in 1 Corinthians 7, that this is not such a great institution, that it might ultimately be better to do away with this institution. He advises um, Philemon also to release Onesimus from his slavery. So, But primarily, when Paul speaks to slaves, his interest is not in overthrowing the institution of slavery, but in encouraging Christian slaves to be obedient to their masters. And that's what we find here. He begins with that. Exhort bond servants to be obedient to their own masters. And then he goes on and he talks about that more things. First of all, obey their, uh, their commandments. Do what they tell you to do. Secondly, be well-pleasing. That is, in your behavior to them, strive to please them. Strive to be acceptable to them. Don't answer back. Don't be muttering under your breath about your master and about his stupidity or his unreasonability or whatever it may be. Don't be mouthing off to him when he gives you an order. Fourthly, don't be purloining. That is, don't be stealing from him. Slaves would have opportunity. The master could not at every occasion be watching over the behavior of his slaves and it would be relatively easy in certain circumstances anyway for a slave to pilfer at least small items from his master or for an employee to do the same sort of thing. It's a problem that all employers today have to face that their employees pilfer from the company's supplies and show good fidelity Good faith. Show faithfulness to your master. I think the, the best example we have of this in the scriptures, besides our Lord Jesus Christ himself, is Joseph, who was cruelly and unjustly sold to slavery with Potiphar and served his master faithfully to the point that his master promoted him to be the highest in his house and trusted him with everything in his house. Did not even know what was going on in his own house. He had so much trust in Joseph. But Joseph showed it also in prison. Really a slave of the 
judicial system, if you want to call it that, in Egypt. And serving there in the prison to the point that the jailer himself really turned over his duties to Joseph. But you see, as you look at this list, you have that emphasis on sober-mindedness. It comes up three times in this short list for three different groups. And it's the word that connects sound doctrine and sound living. But now, what I want to do next is look at the exhortations that open and close this chapter, verses 1 and 15. But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So he's telling Titus, speak the things which are uh, proper for sound doctrine, and then he shows what is proper for sound doctrine in verses 2 to 10. All this behavior that the Christians are to exhibit, both within and outside the church and in their own families. These are things which are proper for sound doctrine. They are the things that fit with sound doctrine. Doctrine is the basis on which this godly living is built. It's the fountain out of which this godly way of life flows. But in verse 15, he uh, repeats first the um, urging to speak, but he adds, exhort and rebuke also. I think you have three different levels of of speech there. First of all, there's speaking in general, which is simply teaching. Teach them the way that they should live. Teach the older men, the older women. Teach the older women to teach the younger women. Teach the young men, teach the slaves, he says. Be teaching them the whole pattern of life that God requires of them. But also exhort. That is, don't just tell them how to live, but give to them specific urgings, specific admonitions, specific exhortations about the way to live. Say to the older men, be sober, be reverent, be sober-minded, be sound in faith, in love, and in patience. Exhort, and then as well, if it's necessary, rebuke. If you see someone not behaving in this way, rebuke. Call to repentance. Say to them that they should not be living this way. If you see one drunken, tell him. He must not be drunken. He must repent of his sin and he must come back to a godly way of life. If you see a young wife not obeying her husband, exhort her and rebuke her. Tell her that she must obey. And I think Paul emphasizes that because Titus was young. He says that, let no one despise you, or at least he implies it. There are going to be those who who look at you, Paul says, and who say, who does that young whippersnapper think he is, that he can tell me what to do, that he can teach me? And Paul says, don't let them despise you. Don't give them occasion to despise you. Exercise the authority which God has given you. Yes, you are young, but God has put you in a position of authority. 
and don't let others shame you or frighten you out of the proper exercise of the authority that God has given. Rebuke, teach, and exhort with all authority. As if you spoke not for yourself, but for God himself. Which is Titus' business anyway. Now one other thing that we have to notice about this. I've ignored, as we've been working through these verses, one element of the verses that I wanted to save until the end. And that is that Paul exhorts all this kind of behavior partly so that the Christians there in Crete may not give occasion to outsiders to blaspheme the word of God. This comes up three times in these verses. First of all, in verse 5, with regard to the younger women, he says that they should be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That's the problem that we have, of course, here in the world. The unbelieving world watches us. And if the unbelieving world sees ungodly behavior in us, they are very quick to jump on us and say, you're hypocrites. You say that you're supposed to live this way, you make this confession, and you don't live that way. And that just shows that everything that you teach is false. They blaspheme the word of God because of what we do. They speak evil of the word of God because of what we do. They speak evil of God. They speak evil of his word. They speak evil of Christians. They speak evil of the church because of our ungodly behavior. So Paul says to these young women, don't behave in a way that gives them occasion to speak evil. Then again in verse 8, with regard to the younger younger men, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Same kind of idea, only here it's not blaspheming the word, of, but the word of God, but speaking evil of you. Don't conduct yourself in such a way that they may bring right accusations against you of ungodly behavior. Rather, behave yourself in such a way that in their desire to say evil of you and to undermine your teaching and your way of life, they may be ashamed, frustrated in their purposes, and ashamed to open their mouths against you. And then he says it again in verse 10 with regard to servants, showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. And so you see there's a kind of circular relationship here, don't you? The sound doctrine should lead to godly living, sound living, and the sound living then becomes an adorning of the sound doctrine. It makes the sound doctrine look beautiful, right, proper. They should say of us when they look at us, there's a man who lives what he believes. Or there's a woman who lives what she believes. 
and I can't find any fault in this person according to what he believes. Now, the unbeliever, of course, may find fault with us according to his own ungodly standards. He may find fault with us, for example, in not tolerating evil. But he should not be able to find fault with us with regard to the commandments and doctrines of the scriptures. Our behavior should be an adornment of the doctrine of grace in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless his word.